0: We are in Luke chapter 7 this morning, Luke chapter 7. And the title is Massive Compassion, Massive Compassion. And uh, we've all been through seasons or we're going through seasons that bring pain or difficulty, loss, heartache. These aren't the mountaintop seasons, right? These are the valley seasons that are difficult. And if you experience a loss of a loved one, it's never easy, right? In fact, it can be overwhelming and grieving is inevitable, I was looking through old yearbooks from middle school a couple months back, and I saw one person who signed my yearbook. Uh, his name was David Russell. And uh, I remember how we heard the sad story that he was riding with a friend in the car, and the friend who was driving fell asleep. And so the car crashed, and David Russell was killed. It, it, was, it was surreal like hearing this as a young person, just thinking, we never see him again. My grandpa died. He, he worked at this, on the Santa Fe Railroad, uh, and he loved eating raw meat and chain smoking. Like, that's, kind of, that's what he did. And so he died in his 60s, I'm just saying. But um, I remember both my grandmas died. Uh, I mean, just thinking back, all the people we've lost, I mean, death is horrible, right? And, and it was never meant to be. We know that. But then came sin, and with it, death. And so the beautiful fact of walking with the Lord is that when we're going through... Um, Through immense and difficult pain, we can know for a fact that Jesus is there. Like we can know he defeated death for the believer, and we can cling to him through it all. Uh, When we're going through loss, pain, and grief, Jesus is the one who comforts and consoles and sometimes works miracles that are undeniable. In chapter 7, we're going to see four hurting people who Jesus ministered to and healed. And remember, the first half of the Gospel of Luke... Jesus had major compassion on the helpless and the hurting. He didn't heal these people through judgment or justice. He healed them because of compassion. People are in different places in their life circumstances, right? And so we minister from the point where they are, not from where we are. It reminds me of, like, you've heard the whole five love language thing, you know, five love language. I can give to my wife according to how I respond to love, And she may be thankful, but I'm not giving her according to how I receive love instead of how she receives love. It's like I used to shower my wife with with gifts for Valentine's Day. You know, like she would open the door, front door, and there'd be balloons and flowers and chocolate. Like, it was ridiculous. It was, (laughs) even looking back, I'm like, it was kind of, it was too much. Her birthday, Christmas, I would just give her so many gifts, so much stuff, you know. And... It's like I was attempting to her, uh, earn her approval. I thought that's what she wanted, just buy her stuff, right? And now, at one point, she said, you know, I don't want all these gifts. Like, why, why after years, why, of being married, why are you getting me all these gifts? I, I, I just want to spend time with you. I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, great, well, I'll save a lot of money now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. No, but I was like, oh, okay, that's all you want. She just wants to spend quality time with me, go out to dinner, watch the sunset, I learned was, what I learned was my wife knows I love her when I just am there with her, you know, and I, I know that she needs quality time, so I act according to her love language, not my own. And Jesus had compassion; he healed, but we, we can't forget that his motivation was not just to heal. Right? Jesus' goal is found in Luke 5:32, which says that Jesus came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Right, He healed, he did miracles, not so people could rave and marvel and be astounded because he did these inspiring feats. Jesus healed and did miracles so he could show that he actually did care and so he could share the truth because the truth is what transforms a person. And, and, and we know that in this room, right? We've been transformed, we've been saved. Compassion brought healing and conviction saved souls. Compassion has been defined as your pain, In My heart. Your pain in my heart. It has an element of empathy to it that you don't just see people hurting, you actually feel their pain as well. Jesus was confronted with four hurting people, which we'll look at the first two today, a dying servant and a grieving widow. And as we look at chapter 7, we see that Jesus helped all four of these hurting and helpless people. So let's pray and then we'll get into the scripture this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you that we get to go through it, verse by verse and line by line. We pray, God, that you would teach us, Lord, that we would get to know your heart more so that we can emulate that, Lord. We just pray that uh, you would speak into our hearts, Lord, and we'd be able to leave here today and live these things out in our lives, Lord. We love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look at the whole first uh, story and then we'll go to the next one after, but verse one, says, Chapter 7 of Luke, now when he concluded all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders uh, of the Jews to him, pleading with him to, uh, to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. Verse 6, and then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and he turned around, and he said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. And so Jesus finished, the, remember, the sermon on the plain and then went back to the place of his residence, Capernaum. And as we look at the Roman centurion, we have to remember that Roman centurions, they had a reputation. They were known for their character, their strength, their like, noble stature. Centurion, it means 100. So most of them led between 100 to 1,000 soldiers. They were in charge of them. And through the New Testament, actually, whenever a centurion is mentioned, it's actually in a favorable light. And this guy was no exception. He brought his servant to Jesus. Now, it's important to understand under Roman law, a person who owned a servant or slave had the right to put them to death legally. Right, you know, especially if the servant was sick or injured or was useless, was deemed useless, if they could not work. They could just be put to death and it wouldn't it would be lawful. And many of the indentured servants actually they became part of the family of their masters, they were actually seen as part of the family unit. And this seems to be the case right here. This centurion, he genuinely cared for his servant. He desperately wanted him healed. He didn't just give the order to kill and get rid of the servant. He wanted him made well, badly. Now this shows humility on the centurion's part because they weren't known for expressing a need for anything. They weren't supposed to show that they needed anything. Like, they were trained to be mostly emotionless, you know, stoic, tough, ruthless. History never says, these centurions were so compassionate and merciful, they let all their enemies live. No, like, that didn't happen. Like, this centurion looks to be a devout man and humble, actually. From the Jews' perspective, Roman centurions, they were essentially the ones who sought to oppress the Jews. The Jewish elders did not have love for the Romans, and especially the Roman soldiers, yet... They commended this guy to Jesus. This guy was different. He was caring. He was actually humble. This centurion loved the Jews, which was shown by him building a synagogue for them, actually. So he loved his servant he, and, and wanted him to get healed. He, he had a heart of concern for this boy and wanted him to be healed from the, you know, the paralyzed state he was in. In Matthew, it says of the same guy, he was dreadfully tormented. The servant was. He was dreadfully tormented. You can find the condensed version in Matthew 8. But the centurion sent the Jewish elders to Jesus because he saw himself as unworthy to meet Jesus himself. Because of the reputation of this Roman centurion, the Jewish elders agreed to meet with Jesus about his servant's affliction. And many historians and and Christian scholars truly believe that this centurion feared God, that he was a Gentile who believed in Israel's God, the one true God. Which the fact that a Gentile would approach a Jewish teacher or rabbi was totally unheard of. This was like, "What are you doing? This was not the norm. but the desperation of this centurion to get his servant healed was what brought him to Jesus. And is it not different today? Like many who walk with Christ today, they were desperate and down. They were crying out for help. and I know I was, thinking back to when I, was, uh, when I was younger, I guess I was in my 20s, and uh, I told you this story here and there, I've, I've said it in a lot of sermons, but remember when, that story I tell when I'm, like, I'm driving somewhere and uh, my friend's talking to me about Jesus and the gospel and all that stuff, I'm like, what are you talking about, I didn't even ask you, like, well, I don't want to hear this, I don't care, <laughs> Like, that's him right there, <laughs> Casey, uh, yeah, he's in town, he's passing through, he went to... Uh, <laughs> He went to a Christian, uh, uh like a hardcore Christian concert or something. I don't know, uh, up up north, uh, Birmingham, but uh, he's passing through, and he's the guy I always talk about and I always mention in favorable light. I never, but uh, but seriously, he's the one that was just like, I'm taking him to church. I'm taking him to this Bible study. He's gonna think we're all weird, but whatever. Like, and and I, you know, he's the guy. So I. I and I remember two years, I don't know if you remember this, but two years after I was saved, you didn't really know it, I showed up at your house, knocked on the door, and you opened it. I was like, Casey, I'm saved. You're like, what? I was like, and the first thing I said, we like hugged and praising the Lord together. And uh, so, yeah, he was bold enough he, he, to share with me the gospel, right? Just, just straight up, just straight up, not watered down. I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know. So, thank you. I, I, I'm going to continue on so I don't cry. Um, so... The centurion actually tells Jesus that he doesn't need to come because Jesus doesn't need to be there uh, for the healing. Like, like, If the Roman centurion allowed Jesus to come to his home, would Jesus have enter- entered a Gentile's home? You think about that. Because like, it was against Jewish custom for a Jew to enter a Gentile's home. It was not against God's law. But in a popular rabbinic writing at this time, it was written, the dwelling place of the Gentiles are unclean. So, We'll never know because the centurion believed Jesus could heal with a word. The centurion, he was no dummy, right? For he knew that a rabbi in his home would be a problem for the culture. But from this encounter, what we see that the centurion had a couple godly traits is strong faith and he had great humility. Strong faith and great humility. Strong faith because he believed Jesus could heal with a word. Strong humility because he didn't feel worthy or deserving for Jesus to come into his home. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, For the Christian, humility is absolutely indispensable. Without it, there can be no self-knowledge, no repentance, no faith, and no salvation. The humble would be exalted, and the exalted will be humbled. Right? The centurion, he had faith as well, for there is no indication of doubt in his words about what Jesus could do. Um, Alan Redpath said, Faith is two empty hands, held open to receive all of the Lord. I love that. Faith doesn't mean a person is strong without the Lord and believes independently. Faith means a person so trusts in the Lord that unbelief is just washed away. I truly believe that faith and humility, they're partners in holiness. Spurgeon said this of this uh, specific encounter, he said about this Roman centurion, he said, Two features of character bland in him which do not often meet in such graceful harmony. He won the high opinion of others, and yet he held a low estimation of himself. And so the Roman centurion had authority, and he knew Jesus had authority from heaven to heal his servant. He had great faith in Jesus' words. Roman centurions, they were trained to be physically strong and tactical, and they were conditioned to be self-sufficient. And how did this centurion know that Jesus could heal? Uh, We don't know for sure. Maybe he heard heard about the the nobleman whose son Jesus healed from John 4. Maybe he heard about that. I mean, his soldiers could have brought him reports of what this Jesus guy was doing and what miracles he was performing because they were like, make sure he's not doing anything against you know, uh, the, the king or anything. So in verse 8, the centurion said, for I am also under authority. See, the centurion, he knew authority for if he said something, it was done. Right? He was in charge. He gave an order. It was accomplished. He saw Jesus the same way, except spiritually, like miracle-wise. Like, and so notice that Jesus, what Jesus' response was to this Roman guard, he was in charge, he could give orders, and those orders would actually be followed. He would say something, and it would happen. Jesus marveled, though, and commended his faith in verse 9 and 10. He marveled. And the thing is, in the Gospels, Jesus only mar- uh, marvels three times. And this is the only time it's used in a positive way. And it was for a Gentile centurion. Which demonstrates, yes, Gentiles can have faith and be saved, and the Lord would give a ministry to this amazing ministry to reach out to the Gentiles, looking Acts and on. But Jesus marvel—marvel means to stand in awe, to be astounded, to be wowed. What Jesus recognized in this Gentile centurion was great faith demonstrated. You know, and and um, so Jesus healed the centurion's servant. Unbelief didn't heal the boy; faith healed the boy. But even our faith is given from the Lord in our hearts. He gives us each a measure of faith to be lived out of our lives. It's all about him, and it's all for him. But he met this guy's servant right where he was at. He healed. He did amazing work. God's still working, and he's still moving. He didn't stop after the Gospels or after the Book of Acts the early church. He's still on the move, and he's still working. So, Next, we see a grieving widow in verse 11 through 17. So a centurion servant is healed. Now, verse 11, it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came and he touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. And then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And the report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region, so the fame and the, and the popularity of Jesus continually grew. And at this point, there were many disciples, many followers of Jesus. And as his fave, fame grew, so did his followers. So Jesus went to the city Nain, which is about six miles southwest of Nazareth. And this city was about 25 miles from where he healed the centurion's servant. So it would have been a full day's journey. So Jesus didn't travel there because someone requested him this time. He was led to this place to have this divine encounter. Jesus went to Nain, not because he was exploring the land. He, you know, he didn't want to see the sights. He was on a divine mission from place to place. Right? He was led by God. And one way you know you're being led by God is if you don't go, you know it'll be disobedience. And I'm like, I know I have to go. Like, <laughs> if I'm going to follow the Lord, I have to do this, whatever this is. When everything in you points to taking action or making big life decisions, and all the red flags have been decimated, right? And, and there's just green lights and confirmations from God. Like it's time to take action, right? It's time to do something. Because you know that's the Lord. So far, Jesus had an indirect encounter with the Roman centurion and healed his servant with a word. In that situation, we see desperation and paralyzation turned into healing and restoration, now we see another tragedy with pain and loss involved. It says a dead man was being carried out. So this was a funeral pre- uh, procession, right? And the dead man was the only son of his mother, and the mother was a widow. So here is a woman who lost her husband, now her son. Devast- she was devastated. I- I'm sure this widow saw a future that was bleak, dark, depressing, lonely. Her, her loved ones were gone. Since the Jews buried their dead on the same day they died, it was most likely late afternoon when Jesus and his followers arrived at the city gate. So two crowds meet. Two crowds meet. The crowd that was with the funeral procession and the widow, and Jesus and the crowd that was following him. So Jesus was going toward the city while the funeral procession was going toward the cemetery. He was going toward the city. They were going toward the cemetery. And I love the picture here when it comes to the spiritual. See, one crowd is headed for the funeral, mourning, down, grieving, for they don't have Jesus. The other crowd, who are disciples of Jesus, they're rejoicing, they're excited, they're expectant, they, they just saw a miracle. They, it's amazing. One crowd is dead from sin, the other crowd has been raised to life and is forgiven. You see the contrast there. John 3:36. Jesus says this, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. John 5, 24, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. The picture here is to trust in Christ and be raised from the dead, if you will. It says says of Jesus when the Lord saw her. So this title, Lord, it's an absolute... Form of which the word emphasizes Jesus's uh, deity. I love that because what it's implying that He is the Lord of all. He can do miraculous things. Jesus saw the widow, and it says He had compassion on her. Again, compassion. Jesus right away understood the situation. Like sometimes we're we'll going through things, and we're like, "Oh, no one understands." And and maybe sometimes no one does understand. You tell them your situation Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to do. Sorry, I'll pray for you. Sometimes no one understands. But you can always count on the fact that Jesus understands your situation. He knows exactly what you're going through, exactly what you're feeling, exactly how to heal, exactly how to meet you where you're at. He, He felt the pain of this widow regarding her loss, just like he felt the pain of sin and death that was rampant, that is rampant in the world. He was a man of sorrows. He was meeting this woman who had major sorrows. He had compassion on her. He, was, he said to her, do not weep. Now, to be clear, this isn't equivalent to like, suck it up, you know, don't cry, you know. Remember, he had compassion at this point, and so he was speaking with a heart of empathy to a widow who was deeply grieving in Nain. The, the, the city uh, name, the name actually means beautiful, and at this time, the widow, I'm sure, saw nothing beautiful. She saw darkness and death and loneliness. So, Jesus, in an unprecedented move in verse 14 to 17, touches the coffin. And the ones who were carrying it kind of stopped in shock. Right? You, you, you can't really blame them, right? You're like, what's this guy doing? Like, like, what is happening here? Jesus touched the coffin, spoke to the dead boy as if he was alive. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. I mean, imagine the onlookers. What if you were in that crowd? What strange things they are saying? Like, What is happening? This is strange. Someone, get security, you know, or like what's going on? I mean, imagine Jesus and the crowd, they approach the procession. He tells the woman not to weep, touches the coffin, speaks to a dead boy. This is seems insane. Who says Jesus doesn't work in miraculous and unconventional ways? Yes, he does. So what was the result of Jesus' actions? Well, it says, so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. That's like, wow. From death to life, from, from laid out to sitting up, from lifeless to living. Now, Jesus divinely interrupted a few funeral processions by raising the dead, if you go through the Gospels. Jairus' daughter, Lazarus. See, this boy was not resurrected, though. He was resuscitated, right? Because there's a difference. Jesus is the only one that was resurrected. This boy was brought back to life, but then he would live out his life and die again someday. Jesus was resurrected, still at the right hand of God. So the widow's son, we see two evidences of life, clear evidences. Number one, he sat up. Number two, he spoke. He was in an open coffin, so it would have been easy to sit up, but he, we don't know exactly what he said. Right, I wish we knew. I'm sure it would be interesting. Like, what did he say? You know, did did, did the boy like just, just praise God immediately? Did he say the name of Jesus? Did he, did he say, "Where am I? What's going on? Why are you all looking at me like that?" <laughs> like you think about their faces, just like shocked. You know, we don't know. We don't know. But the two evidences that miracles took place where he sat up and he spoke. And as believers, we too are to arise. As believers, we are to speak out. The gospel, like Casey did in my life, you know, unrelenting and even annoying. <laughs> but later, I'm like, I, again, I returned and I said, "Thank you, thank you for not being shy for for just saying it, even though I felt awkward." Yeah, I, mean, I, I was. That was part. He, you know, there's three or four people that can totally contributed to me coming to the Lord, and so I'm so thankful. But God makes, you know, Jesus makes dead things come to life. How amazing is He? And And it reminds me of, I was reading this story about Mr. Moody, D.L. Moody. He was asked to conduct a funeral service. So he decided to study the Gospels to find a funeral sermon delivered by Jesus. Because you're like, well, Jesus, I'm sure, did it right, so I'm going to do that. However, Moody searched in vain because every funeral Jesus attended, he broke up by raising the dead. (laughs) So Moody was like, all right, look somewhere else. (laughs) I mean... I mean, what a blessing, what a blessing for the boy, what a blessing for this widow. She, she already lost her husband, and she lost her son, but when Jesus arrived, everything changed. And we can relate to that, right? <laughs> when Jesus entered our lives, everything changes. She, she went from mourning to praising, from helpless to assurance, from, from bleakness to blessings, and... When Jesus showed up, things change. Death is defeated. So we can arise and speak out. So we can sit up and praise God. Jesus had brought a dead son back to life to reunite with his mom. And Jesus healed a centurion servant who was dreadfully tormented and he, he commended his faith. Because the Roman centurion believed that the words from Jesus were actually powerful enough to help and heal. And I love that. God's word is powerful enough to save souls, to heal hearts, to restore what has been broken. Now, as we continue on in chapter 13, we see, all the way to chapter 13, we see the massive compassion that Jesus had on all his words, you know, in all his words and all his actions. From chapter 14 and on, we see courage. But right now, we just see pure compassion. It's a lesson for us not to leave compassion out towards others. Have compassion towards others. Instead of like, ah, uh, you know what I mean? Like just screaming and yelling. And you can't force anyone into the kingdom of heaven. You can't. Ask the Lord constantly to instill in you uh, uh, compassion. To, to not. Here's what Jesus did He, he didn't look past people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes people will look past you. Sometimes we too will, will look past people. He didn't look past people, He looked at people. He looked up as the crowds were coming, as they were hungry, before they fed the 5,000, he looked up, it says, and he looked at the people, he looked at the crowd, he didn't look past them, and said, what should we do next? He said, what does this crowd need? And that, that, that's just, that's compassion, it's compassion, ask the Lord, Lord, instill compassion in me for that person, for those people, for everyone who I come encounter with, right? Help me to sit up, to stand up, to arise, and to speak out. To not be ashamed, to not be timid, but just do it with boldness. You know, because someone came and approached you with boldness, whether it's your family or your friends or even a stranger. Like, they told you the gospel, they gave you the gospel, they weren't shy. Maybe they were nervous. Maybe they were trembling. Maybe they were just like, this guy needs it. I, you know, but the, that they were bold enough to get up, to arise, and to, and to share. And so this is pretty amazing. So we looked at these, these two instances. We're gonna, next, uh, next time we meet, we're going to look at these other two instances where Jesus again helps and heals. So two instances of loss and pain that Jesus turned into praise. People were praising, like, wow. Jesus shows up, and everything changes. And it's not just a one-time change. That's just the beginning right it's it's not just a one prayer right it's a prayer and then and then a process right it's a start walking with him now he's refining me and so we have to give people compassion and grace and room to grow and not expect them to be where we are or where these other strong believers are we need to give people room and grace to grow, cause they might mess up. They might, you might be like, "Wow, this person's fresh out of the fire of the world," <laughs> but they need us to come alongside and pray and help to teach them. And man, when I when I was saved, I didn't know the difference between Jonah and Job, and and they were they were teaching me and helping me and you know inviting me to everything. Let's get together and learn and grow and flourish. It's a prayer and then a process, but. When Jesus shows up, everything, it does, a- everything changes, and it's not easy, but it's so worth it, isn't it? It's so worth it, it's like, thank you, Lord, I couldn't imagine not walking with him right now, I couldn't imagine, I don't want to imagine. It's already a dark world out there, but, you know, the light of the world is shining out. It's kind of like this, you know, there was, there was a church with some stained glass, but it said light of the world on the inside, for, for, for the believers, but it's almost like how about we put that message on the outside and say light of the world for those unbelievers in the city, for the people at the grocery store, for the people you know, that we see at the gas station. Light of the world on the outside to shine out. Because we already know him. But there's a bunch of people that the gate is wide that, that is leading to destruction. right? And so we get to get out there and be the light of the world to share Jesus with people. What a privilege. What an opportunity. And he can do radical works just like he did here. Right? He hasn't stopped working. He hasn't stopped moving. He's still doing great and amazing things. Amen?